I'm absolutely delighted that I can say welcome to our service today. It's great to be able to worship together in spirit, if not in body. And once again, we have this fantastic opportunity to praise God. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. This is what the psalmist is saying. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You know, in a pretty shaken up world, where a lot of the things around us aren't what they used to be, it's good to know that we have a God that we can come to worship because his love is totally unshakable, totally dependent. Or as the psalmist is saying, his faithful love endures forever. So let's worship him. Jesus is mine, living in love. 
I don't think I've ever seriously doubted the existence of God. He's always been there. He's always uh, made sense of everything. Everything makes sense because of him, I suppose. But doubt does creep in from time to time about how he will act, uh, what he's doing now. In fact, one of my favourite prayers is, oh God, what are you doing now? Um, about how he will act, will he act? I can remember some time ago when my daughter was 11 and she was taken into hospital quite poorly um, and we were called um, late at night to go and fill in forms for an emergency operation and I should have been at a prayer meeting that night and I rang them to say why I wasn't going to be there uh, and they came round and prayed with us and um, but then during the night awake uh, many times thinking but what if and those awful doubts that come in the middle of the night when the the rubber hits the road really those times of doubt um and then a friend rang me and she said she had a scripture for me and it was from deuteronomy chapter 33 and it was underneath of the everlasting arms and i thought about that and i thought what well, what does that mean and what does it look like and particularly in my circumstance now and um, Cheryl my daughter was poorly for several days and then somebody sent me a picture of an, um, an eagle and uh, an eagle when it's teaching its baby to fly will push the eaglet out of the nest and then it'll fly underneath it with its wings outspread in case it fell and, and I suddenly realised that, yes, God was holding me up on the prayers of all these other people. Although my faith was very flickering, I was like that eagle. Um, there were all these people praying. So now when there's times of doubt, um, when I'm struggling with something that's going on, then I'll turn to fellow Christians um, who will pray with me we will turn to scripture um most of all turning back to god and remembering that relationship because through all those doubtful times those are the times when i found out more about god this god who loves me this god who's with me all the time and um or i'll turn back as well to my journal i keep a journal and remember those times when god has been with me one of my favorite um scriptures is that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and I know that he's in that business of transforming whatever goes on he um he he, he restores that doubt to faith and the more I get to know him the more I get to know about him and the, I learn a lot of those things even in those times of doubt
When I think about doubt, I feel very blessed that I've never really doubted the existence of God and his goodness or the fact that Jesus came to earth as a man. Even before I was a Christ follower, I believed uh, God existed and that Jesus was real. That didn't mean I didn't have questions, but when I looked at nature, when I read the Bible and when I saw other people who followed Jesus uh, these things answered my questions and I didn't doubt the reality of God and Jesus and the things that he did. However if I think about doubt as a lack of faith or the opposite of faith then there have been times in my life where I've questioned where God is I remember when someone close to me was ill, I was under a lot of pressure, tired, um, exhausted, uh, many questions. And it's in moments like that, I've asked the question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing in this? And yeah, not expressed faith and uh, not trusted in his promises really. And I think that is the times when I would say I experience doubt or lack of faith. But if you've ever heard of the poem, The Footsteps, I can testify that in those times when I have expressed that lack of faith and questions, I've realised afterwards that God was there all along, uh, carrying me through, and his was the, the footprints in the sand as the, the poem goes. I'm also very aware of doubt I've seen in other people that followed Christ and one particular uh, Christian leader and well-known speaker um, I had the privilege of listening to his testimony and was profoundly moved that, that he had times in his life too where he, he doubted. But the, there's a verse in Jude chapter 1 verse 22 that says be merciful to those who doubt and 
I think that just expresses um, the reality of doubt for, for many of us, but also uh, the merciful one, God himself, uh, understands these things. And that's certainly a testimony uh, that I've experienced uh, in my life.
morning. It still seems strange, doesn't it, that we're not meeting together at church. But I find comfort and encouragement to know that we are together. We're worshipping God together this morning. We're listening to his word and we're praying together. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you promised to be with us always, that you haven't left us alone and isolated, but you've given us your Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I want to pray particularly for those of us who live alone, for those who are finding it a real strain during this lockdown, for all of us who are missing relatives and friends. May we be very conscious of your presence with us, Father, your presence through the storm, your presence bringing us peace. When the world is afraid, help us to be strong and courageous because you are our refuge and our strength. When the world is hopeless, may we be a hope-filled people because our hope is in the one who defeated sin and death. We pray that all who are facing and fearing the possibility of death in the coming weeks and months may have the opportunity to hear of Jesus, to meet with Jesus, to know his saving grace. And may we be ready to play our part in that when the opportunity arises. Let's spend some time now praying, each one of us, for those we know personally who are ill, who are facing difficulties, who are facing uncertain futures. And Father, we pray that the spread of this disease will slow down and stop. We pray for godly wisdom for our governments and governments across the world as they seek the way forward. Thank you too for gifted scientists who are developing vaccines and for all who are serving selflessly on the front line in the NHS, care homes, retail and services. Give them courage and strength to continue. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are one week after Easter, traditionally in Romania where I was born. Always the first Sunday after Easter is known as Thomas's Sunday. So I guess it's pretty apt that today we're going to look at a passage that talks about Thomas's doubt and his discovery of Jesus. Doubt is something that we all at a certain point in our lives faced and sometimes it can end up shaping our life. Ricky Gervais, the comedian, once wrote in an interview in Wall Street Journal uh, about uh, why he's an atheist and he recalls uh, a time in his past where suddenly a change occurred in his life and here are his own words I'll better read them because they're a lot better to listen to as he describes his experience I used to believe in God the Christian one that is I loved Jesus he was my hero but later on I was sitting at a kitchen table when my brother came home he was 11 years older than me so he would have been 19 he was as smart as anyone I knew, but he was cheeky too. He would answer back and get into trouble. I was a good boy. I went to church and believed in God. What a relief for my working class mother. I was happily drawing my hero, Jesus, when my big brother Bob asked me, why do you believe in God? Just a simple question. But my mum panicked. She said with a tone, and I knew what he meant, Bob, she was saying, shut up. Why was that a bad thing to ask, I wondered. If there was a God and my faith was strong, it didn't matter what people said. 
Oh, hang on. There is no God. Maybe there is no God and my brother knows it. He's smart. Maybe it's as simple as that. It was then that I started thinking about it and asking more questions and within an hour I was an atheist. Obviously, Ricochet's humour is kicking in here. Wow, no God. If mum had lied to me about God, what else did she lie to me about? Santa? Yes, of course, but who cares? The gifts kept coming. So did the gifts of my new found atheism, the gift of truth, science, nature, the real beauty of this world. I no longer needed a reason for my existence, just a reason to live. An imagination, free will, love, humor, fun, music, sports, beer and pizza are all good enough reasons for living. Well, I guess there are many people who would have had a similar experience in their own lives, maybe different circumstances than Ricky's, but nevertheless a similar experience. Doubt is real for most of us at different times in our lives. And sometimes it can be just simply your background. Sometimes just the way you're brought up, the circumstances of life can create an environment where doubt is very natural. Sometimes it can be our emotional makeup, our personality, the way we're wired. We're the kind of people that find it easier to disbelieve something rather than believe something. And sometimes it can be circumstances in our lives. We can go through a crisis that is so profoundly tragic that it impacts our ability to believe in God. Today I want us to look at Thomas's experience of doubt and faith. And I want to do it as an encouragement to all of us who may be struggling with the issue of doubt and faith, and also as an inspiration to be compassionate to those who might still be struggling with that issue. So here is what John is describing. John, in his Gospel, describes about Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands and reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet they believe. We meet Thomas, first of all, crippled by doubt. It's a real stark contrast because you find some of the other disciples absolutely exuberant at the realization that all the things that Jesus had said about himself, about rising from the dead, have come true because they've met him and have seen him with their very own eyes. And it is a real contrast between the newfound faith and assurance that disciples have. And they have Thomas, who missed out. And he's doubting. He just simply can't believe it. You know what it's like in, in life when you're that one that is missing out on something. It could be that your friends have seen something on TV. It could be that they've been to a concert. It could be that they've been to this amazing party and afterwards, they just tell the story and you think to yourself, oh, how could I be the one that has been missing out on this? In fact, they, they, they have a word for our generation nowadays, uh, a word just coined a few years ago, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Sometimes people are so obsessed about missing out on something exciting. And guess what? Thomas did miss out on the most exciting thing that all the other disciples experienced. So why is Thomas doubting? I have a few theories. 
First of all, probably because he was a very uncompromising character. If we dig deep into his personality and his experience, you find that Thomas in, in John 11, 16, is willing to go and die with Jesus. He was not a half-hearted guy. He was not a guy that was being swept by the wind into one direction or another. No, Thomas was uncompromising. He wanted to know because he wanted to be sure, because once he made up his mind, you couldn't shift him. And maybe it was because of that. Also, Thomas was a very inquisitive guy. He constantly asked questions of Jesus in John 14, 5. Again, he wants to know. He's always the one, very similar to the kid in the class, who dares to ask the question that probably half of the class is already thinking about. He wasn't afraid to ask those questions. He wasn't afraid to seek for answers. And maybe this is very consistent with his personality. Maybe Thomas was struggling to doubt because he just wanted to know for sure that this is real. Maybe Thomas was a very practical realist. In life, and even amongst your family and friends, you would have people who write and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. Sometimes people either ride on thinking and thoughts and ideas, and other people just ride on feelings and emotions. We're all just wired in very different ways. And maybe Thomas was the guy that wasn't riding on emotions and on experiences. Maybe he was riding a lot on facts, on things that he could see and hear and analyze and think about them. And maybe that's the reason why he was so crippled by doubt. Because actually, all the information that he had is secondhand experiences from other people, nothing that he had experienced himself. Maybe just the circumstances of Jesus meeting with some of the other disciples and Thomas not being able to be there, those would have been very, very much at the heart of his doubt. For him it mattered very much to have evidence that he could lean on. Something that didn't depend on somebody else's account or somebody else's evidence, but something that he would know for himself that this is real. And as I've already hinted before, it's really in the text. Previously, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came to see the disciples and they end up saying to him, verse 25, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas missed out and maybe that was the very root of his doubt. And therefore he's saying, look, I need to see I need to put my finger where the nails were. I need to put my hand on the side of Jesus because I want to be sure. Now, resurrections are not uncommon for those who are familiar with the scriptures. We have examples of resurrections in the Old Testament. Uh, examples with Elijah and, and, and the widow of Zarephtah. Also, we have examples with Jesus' ministry, which Thomas could have very much been a witness of his resurrection, the son of the widow from Nain, Jairus's daughter, and Jesus's very good friend Lazarus. All three incredible miracles, different people, different circumstances, different contexts, different ways in which they were raised from the dead, but nevertheless they were all examples of the power of Jesus to raise people from the dead, or the power of God to bring people back from death to life. And then you had the ultimate example, which Thomas is invited to examine and to respond to, in which Jesus was raised from the dead three days after his crucifixion. When it seemed like everything ended, when it seemed like all the disciples' worlds had caved in, all their futures were smashed up, all their hopes were dashed, everything was finished. And yet Thomas is invited to respond to that. 
And probably it's quite unbelievable because while we have the examples of Jairus' daughter and the son of the widow from Nain and Lazarus, how on earth could Jesus, once dead, raise himself up? It just doesn't make sense. So don't be too harsh on Thomas because this was a very difficult thing to believe. And I think right at the very heart of Thomas's doubt was the desire to be sure, to have all the evidence, to examine it, and then to come to a conclusion based on that. And you know what makes it worse probably? The exuberance of all the other disciples just makes it worse. You know what it's like when you feel pretty sad inside and you're amongst people that are very boisterous and very joyous. It just amplifies your own feelings, which are contrasting with the feelings of those that you are surrounded by. They often say there's no worse place to feel very lonely than in a huge crowd. It can happen. And very much the experience of the real joy and exuberance of those who have met the resurrected Jesus amplifies the doubt in Thomas's own mind and heart. And this is a challenge because Thomas finds himself sidelined and stranded because this is just really difficult to believe because he's been missing out. But there's an amazing turn in this story because it says that a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and those the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. And then he spoke to Thomas and invited him to put his finger on his nail marks and his hand onto his side and invited him saying, stop doubting and believe. Before he was crippled with doubt, but now he ends up being convinced by Christ. See... It was right for Thomas, and most likely it's right for me and you. People's stories and people's words sometimes just aren't enough to convince us and to take us out of doubt into faith. And Jesus recognized that. Thomas needed a personal encounter with Jesus. And I'm sure that the stories of the other disciples were beginning to build a foundation and Thomas was probably moving towards, because he trusted them, moving towards believing in Jesus, but he needed something a lot more solid than that as a foundation. And I love the fact that Jesus, once again, he takes the initiative. He's the one that makes the very first step. He doesn't make Thomas crawl through his doubt into faith, but Jesus reaches out to him. Jesus is the one that is pursuing him. Jesus is the one that engages with his doubt. And Jesus doesn't put him in a corner. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say, you know what, you're doubting. I've had enough of you. I'm just going to leave you in your doubt. He doesn't dismiss him. He doesn't punish him for his doubt. Jesus reaches out into his doubt and has this incredible encounter. And everything about this encounter with Jesus is screaming out, this is an amazing God. First of all, you see his omnipotence, which is a big theological word that, uh, about God being very powerful, all-powerful. Jesus comes into a room going through walls. Don't ask me how that is. It's just pretty awesome and it's pretty amazing and it's like something coming out of the matrix. It's, it's just unbelievable. And yet have this incredible experience where Jesus is coming and the disciples are gathered together and he comes right in their midst and makes this personal appearance. And it's saying straight away to Thomas, I am the same Jesus you've heard and met and spent time with. I am all powerful. I'm risen now, but same Jesus, all powerful. And that would have been an incredible miracle in itself to start with. But then Jesus speaks to Thomas and says, Thomas, indirectly, I know what you've said. I know what you're thinking. I know what you want. You want to put your fingers on my nail marks. You want to put your hand on my side. I mean, imagine 
Thomas's jaw must have hit the floor, thinking, how on earth did you know? But that's what God does. And he does it with you and he does it with me. You will find yourself, as you keep searching for God in this journey, that God will speak to you. And he will very often answer the questions you've been asking, maybe even secretly, in your heart and mind. Maybe you've never even said anything to anybody. And yet God knows. And he will send somebody, he will speak into that. Or maybe somebody will preach from the scriptures something that would be the exact answer to the question you've had. Because God is omniscient. This is your second big theological word, which means God is all-knowing. God can do anything and God can know anything. And I guess Thomas is getting pinned back by this thinking, wow, you're blowing my mind away. You've just come into this room. I can't believe you've done this. And you're telling me what I've told the other disciples, which they couldn't have told you, so obviously you know it, you know everything, everything about me. And then the amazing thing is, it's not just his omnipotence and the omniscience, which almost sound like powers that a superhero would have, but Jesus is so loving. He comes and reaches out to Thomas in the middle of his crisis of faith, in the middle of his struggle with doubt. Because that's what Jesus does. He always reaches out to us. He doesn't come to chastise, he doesn't come to punish, he doesn't want to good, he doesn't come to laugh at us. He comes to reach out. And he says to Thomas, come on Thomas, I want to convince you. I've heard your questions. I know what you're struggling with. I want to reach out to you and I want to say, come on, come and see, come and be sure because I want you to know that I am alive. And although Thomas needed all the evidence, the, the, the putting of his finger on the mark of the nail, the putting of his hand on the side, seeing Jesus, at this point, it's amazing the reaction that he has to Jesus' omnipotence, omniscience and love. Jesus is speaking to him and the words that he brings are beautiful because he says to them, peace be with you. And it's the Hebrew word shalom, which is a lot, a lot richer and a lot more holistic than simply our kind of peace, as in if there's a conflict, you know, bring peace between the two sides. No, the shalom, the peace that Jesus is, is proclaiming of the disciples is a holistic mind, heart, soul, and body kind of peace. Just the, the ultimate blessing and well-being. And Thomas reacts, and he reacts in an amazing way. So he's not curious about the wounds anymore. He, he doesn't want to put his finger, he doesn't want to put his hand, because he's seen Jesus, and he's had that revelation. And he hears an amazing confession. And he says this sentence, my Lord and my God. Everything about this confession betrays what's going on in his heart. For Thomas, this is personal. It's what he wanted. It's what he got. That personal encounter with Jesus, and that's why he's saying, my Lord and my God. This time it's not about a group identity. It's not about a group experience. It's not about what others think and feel and believe. It's about me, my own personal experience. And when he, in that brief confession of faith, explains what's going on, he simply says, my Lord and my God. It's not just a confession of faith that now I believe in you as a God but it's also a submission. When he's calling him Lord, he's almost saying, you're my king, you're my boss. You're the one that I submit my life to. You're the one that I follow as a disciple. And that's what happens. When we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, it's not that we believe in God, but we submit our life to him. And our mindset and our lifestyle, they're both affected by this belief in God. 
This is why, sadly, there are so many people who would call themselves Christians, but they don't resemble Jesus at all. That's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is one of discipleship, in which you acknowledge that Jesus is, yes, your God, but he's also your Lord. And you follow him, you submit to him, he's the master, he's the one you learn from. And Thomas gets it. So his experience of Jesus causes him now to surrender his life and to say, I don't just believe in you, but I follow you, I live for you. And that's an incredible confession of faith that comes out of the doubt that Thomas was crippled with. And Jesus is bringing this exhortation. He's saying, look, blessed are you because you've seen and believed, but even more blessed are those who haven't seen and believed. And that's, a, that's my experience. And that's the invitation that is given to all of us. You know, we might not have a physical encounter with Jesus, but we are invited to actually believe and we're being called blessed if we do that through faith, through an encounter with Jesus. History, the history of the church, tells us that following his encounter with Jesus, Thomas decided to go as a missionary to India, serving Jesus for about 20 years between AD 52 and AD 72. Again, church history is telling us that he probably died martyred. That's being killed for his faith because he didn't want to renounce Jesus. And Thomas remained this incredibly impacting figure for one of the most significant parts of the world in Asia and India. You might say, what made the difference? The transition from the crippling doubt to the encounter with Jesus. What well, is Jesus that made all the difference? Jesus who comes and meets Thomas in his doubt. The words of John Stott, one of the most brilliant uh, British theologians of the last century, are very helpful to us here. Here's what he says. If you find it hard to believe in God, I strongly advise you to begin your search not with philosophical questions about the existence and the being of God, but with Jesus of Nazareth. If you read again the story of Jesus and read it as an honest and humble seeker, Jesus is able to reveal himself to you and thus make God real to you. That is such helpful advice. It's a fantastic invitation. So this morning, if you feel like Thomas felt, thinking, I, I, I don't really believe, don't feel marginalized, don't feel victimized, don't feel bad about it. I love your honesty. It's a great place to be. Jesus doesn't want yes people that do it just because somebody else does it. Jesus is longing for people who have integrity in following him because they have an experience that they can vouch for and say, I really believe, just like Thomas did. You know, we doubt for different reasons as I said at the beginning, like Thomas. And maybe it's part of your life experience. It's maybe the knocks that you've had. It's part of your personality. That's okay. But I'm going to be bold this morning and I want to invite you on a journey of discovery. The same type of journey that Thomas was on and many, many other people who now follow Jesus have been on. It's that journey of discovery where make the transition from that crippling doubt that you had or you have right now into an encounter with Jesus that brings about a desire and a decision to follow him for the rest of your life. I'm inviting you to make this journey and make it with us. Why don't you just start following the, the stuff that we put online? You can't meet with us and we can't meet together. Maybe drop me a line through the church email, just go on our website and get in touch with us. Maybe ask us for some other resources that could be helpful for you. Maybe just share with us some of the ways we can pray for you. Just reach out and join us. We're on the same journey as well. 
that, that uh, you may want to embark with. Why don't you come and be part of this journey? Or maybe you're ready, maybe you've been on this journey before and maybe you're ready to kind of say, do you know what? I, I, I've had an encounter with Jesus and I'm ready to actually say, just like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Maybe you've got the first bit of me saying, yes, I believe Jesus is God, but you've never surrendered your life to him and said, I want to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Just in a minute, I will pray and I will give you an opportunity to do that yourself from wherever you are, from where you're watching this. This is the invitation we're giving you. Come with us on a journey of discovery. Be part of our community, of our church community. At the moment, it's a virtual community because we can't gather together. Because I'm confident in Jesus. Just the way he's changed my life, he can change your life. And I'm confident the good news, what the, the Christians call the good news, the gospel, the good news of God's willingness to transform us, God's willingness to shape us and gifts, gift us with gifts that we can use to serve other people and bless other people. I really believe that we can be part of this amazing spiritual revolution that can shape up, shake up not just our nation, but the nations around the world with the love of Christ. So that's my invitation that I have for you. I know sometimes it can take time. For Thomas it took a week. That's okay. But I just want to invite you in, into starting that journey, into stepping over the threshold, into joining maybe a community of faith that is willing to journey with you. And I'm going to pray for that personal encounter. Let me finish with a story. Apparently, Winston Churchill arranged his own funeral. A lot of people do. They think about that. It's not a bad thing. There were stately hymns being sung at St. Paul's Cathedral where the funeral was taking place, and the liturgy was very impressive. But at the end of the service, apparently Churchill had the, a, a slightly unusual event planned. When they said the benediction, a bugler, high in the door of St. Paul's Cathedral, on one side played taps, the universal signal that the day is over. And there was a long pause. Then a bugler on the other side played the reveille, the military wake-up call. It was Church's way, probably, of communicating that while we say goodnight here, we're also saying good morning up there. Now, how we could, could he do that? How could, we, could he have that confidence? I think it's simply because he believed in Jesus. That Jesus said, that said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, although they may die, they will live. It's an amazing story. And just like Churchill, I have that same faith. And it's not just a faith for the afterlife. It's a faith that shapes everything that I do right here, right now. And with everything in my heart, I want to invite you to discover Jesus too. Listen, he's my greatest treasure. He's my reliable rock. He's my everlasting joy. And I couldn't just keep him for myself. I want you to know him and to follow him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have done such an amazing work in Thomas's life, enabling him through an encounter with you to make that transition from doubt to faith. And I'm praying right now for anybody listening to this or watching this, that they themselves will be able to have an encounter with you that will profoundly shape their life from this moment onward. I pray that they will know that you are real. I pray that they will too know like Thomas that you are an almighty God. I pray that they will know that you care for them and you know their thoughts, you know their questions, you know their worries, you know all the things that bother them. And I pray that you will speak to them and show yourself to them so they could believe in you and follow you too. And for those who have been on this journey and maybe this morning are ready to take that step, to make that declaration, wherever you are, 
just say in your own heart, Jesus, I recognize that you are my God. It's my personal decision. I want to welcome you also to be my Lord. I want to leave my old life behind, all the sins, all the mess, all the selfishness. And I want to embrace a new life that I can live through your power, not on my own, but with you living in me. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Well, thank you once again for joining us. I hope that you've really enjoyed the service. It's been great to have um, a variety of people taking part once again. So big thank you to all you. Um, special mention to Christy as well. Thank you once again for a really powerful and challenging message. Um, it's my job just to finish off with um, a couple of notices. So tonight, 6.30, Christy's evening talk is going to be on the YouTube channel. And after his message, there's going to be a short get-together on Zoom just to have a chat uh, about the message and just a catch-up, really. As you can see, everything this week is via Zoom once again. Um, if you've not had a go at Zoom yet, I'd really encourage you to, to give it a go. It seems as though the church is not going to be able to meet for quite a few weeks, possibly months yet to come. So I'd encourage you just to, um, to give it a try. And it's, it's a real encouragement to see faces of uh, people in the church. On Tuesday night, we've added another church Zoom get-together. Uh, the idea behind this is it's not to make people busy or feel pressured to be there, but it's just a check-in point just to see how everyone's doing during the week. So that's Tuesday night, uh, 7.30. Uh, on Thursday night, some life groups are meeting together via Zoom. Um, Saturday morning, it's the prayer meeting, power hour at 8.30am. And just a, a reminder, just keep praying for one another, uh, keep in touch with one another. And if there's any way that we can support you or serve you, please do get in touch. Um, the final notice is on Tuesday, it's David Rundle's funeral. So I'm sure the family would appreciate your prayers. Um, it's going to be a tough day. There's only a few allowed at the, uh, at the crematorium. So let's, uh, let's lift them up in prayer and continue to lift them up in prayer. Don't forget there are various ways how you can keep in touch with us. There's the uh, Instagram page, the Facebook page, and also you can follow us on Twitter. Um, but you can also just give us a call. So um, thanks once again for being with us and have a great day. We will see you later on tonight at 6.30.